Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Mayalis, and in this season here of Advent, these weeks leading up to Christmas, we have been singing a new song. We've been pondering anew some ancient uh, hymns of Scripture and considering their their meaning. And today, I, I want to use um, a hymn that was a part of my childhood. Every Advent, we would sing this at my church, but I don't think it's a very popular song or, or very uh, well-known. Um, it's a, it's an all, originally a Swedish hymn. It's called Prepare the Royal Highway, and I'm going to connect it ultimately to the, the gospel of Mark and a reflection on just how pagan is Christmas Anyway, so without further ado, let's get pondering. Prepare the royal highway, the king of kings is near. Let every hill and valley a level road appear. Then greet the king of glory, foretold in sacred story. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Is Christmas a pagan holiday? Is Christmas a a pagan celebration of the winter solstice of romance, of commercialism, and so many other things? I want to think about that with you. It's clear that... um, for Christians, um, that this is a time of year when there's a celebration for us that is deeply religious, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of God into human form, but there's also so many other cultural trappings and, and layers. All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, the Really, that doesn't have much to do with Jesus, you know, or stories of uh, elves and, and reindeer and, and snowmen that, again, it seems much more like a, a winter festival of, um, yeah, of of all sorts of strange things rather than a religious holiday. So I want to think with you about um, whether Christian Christmas is, is uh, pagan or not. And, you know, uh, to sort of maybe start that off, I want to think about when... Christmas was originally uh, celebrated. And some of you may have heard at some point that, well, Christmas, we don't really know the date of it. You know, Luke nor Matthew kind of tell us what month of the year that Jesus was born. Um, Rather, uh, that the Christian church chose December 
25th because there was a a Roman pagan holiday um, around the solstice at that time, and that would provide cover for Christians who wanted to get together and celebrate. But so often, whenever there's um, a critique or somebody who says, well, the early church, or this is what's said in the Bible, and trying to sort of with this gotcha, like, you know, everything you learned is wrong. And the truth is that there are many things we've learned about Scripture and uh, the church that are wrong, and we need to always be learning. Um, But so often those gotcha critiques reveal more about the person sort of claiming them than they do actually about the real truth of the matter. So it, it is the case that after probably somewhere in the early 1800s, that Christmas really became a, a much bigger deal and began to be associated with all sorts of big feasting and, you know, carols and the whole decorating and, and all of this sort of takes off in sort of Victorian England in a lot of ways and in Northern Europe and Germany and places. But so, so if you think that that's what Christmas is, you might say, oh, wow, these early Christians, they wanted to have a time of carousing and feasting and gift-giving and even romance and fun and frolicking in the winter, so they must have needed a pagan holiday to cover for their rather pagan-like activities. But that's just not how the early church would have celebrated. Um, for, the, for the early church, the big uh, deal was not the, the birth of Jesus. In fact, two of the four Gospels Uh, don't even mention it. And really, most of the letters of the New Testament don't really ever, like the birth of Jesus, um, obviously people would have known or thought about it, but it's not part of the core. The core of, of the Gospels, the core of the New Testament, is rather the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is what uh, becomes the, the principal holidays. Uh, you know, for especially, say, the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's clear that, that Easter and, and Good Friday and that sort of whole set of days is, is the chief holiday, followed by Pentecost. And then Christmas kind of becomes like a third, uh, sort of the third or fourth most important sort of religious holiday. Um, and for us in America, that's really strange because Christmas is the religious holiday. Uh, the churches will be um, more full. I mean, there are fewer people that just say it's culturally worth it or necessary to go to church on Christmas, but still Christmas is, is more attended for us and I think most churches than, than Easter. And that just wouldn't be the case for, for most churches uh, around the world or over time. Uh, the early church was focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus as their main celebration. And my sense is that if they did celebrate, to the extent that they did celebrate Christmas, it was probably much more subdued. And if there is a reason why they picked uh, late December, it probably is that they wanted to keep away uh, from the from Easter and Pentecost and, and, and Lent and, and or sort of those other sort of, you know, they needed to move it away from that. Um, so my thesis is that it was less because they needed some coverage for their rather pagan activities, and so they just picked a, a Roman pagan holiday. I don't think that makes sense of the, for, of the early church. I think uh, if they did pick a date, which we don't know, um, but if they did pick a date, it probably has much more to do with the fact that they just wanted to keep it away from from Easter and Pentecost. Um, but one of the uh, things, too, just going back to the sort of the way in which when we critique and deconstruct Scripture and, and Christian tradition, how we so often import our own lens, is I remember like 20, 25 years ago, there was this movement called the Jesus Seminar. 
and they were, uh, you know, kind of going through the Gospels, and they were sort of doing their own red-letter Bible, but instead it was like what they actually thought, like Jesus really said versus what somebody made up that Jesus said. Uh, and what's fascinating is that they typically tried to take away anything where Jesus overtly said that he was God or ascribed divinity to himself. They really wanted a very human Jesus. And typically, um, a lot of efforts since the Enlightenment to kind of, quote, clean up scripture or deconstruct have almost always wanted a more human Jesus uh, who's not just human but, but also not divine. But what was revealed is that this group of uh, Jesus seminar people, that none of them were first century Jews, right? Because a first century Jew would have known that so much of what Jesus was doing and saying, even if at points he didn't, wasn't explicit, his actions were totally overt, that he was assuming the role of, of the Messiah, that he ascribed to himself divinity, I mean, the way he talks about forgiveness. But one of the great examples of, of this is that he uh, triumphantly enters into Jerusalem, what many Christians will sort of celebrate as Palm Sunday. Uh, and that he would have uh, gone into Jerusalem, uh, even through the particular gate that he goes through, and, you know, had, uh, you know, people put down cloaks and and palm branches, just so dripping with Old Testament references and expectations about the Messiah, and then for Jesus not to repudiate the crowds, but accept their sort of honoring of him this way, shows his, his sense of, of who he was, was not just as an itinerant teacher, um, but he's coming to, to claim a role, uh, a long-awaited role of, of the expected Messiah. And, and I bring uh, that specific example up because the, the passage for many, for probably a millennia, uh, to start off Advent, these, these weeks leading up to, to Christmas, that the, the first Sunday uh, in Advent, the scripture passage was, was actually the, the Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, and so you can actually still sort of hear vestiges of this in this Advent hymn that I was singing, Prepare the Royal Highway. Uh, and, well, okay, that's a reference to uh, Isaiah, as, as a, which then is picked up by, by Mark as a writer, but other writers as well. But then in the chorus, uh, it, it sings Hosanna to the King of Kings. And Hosanna, again, when, when do we hear Hosanna in the New Testament? But on uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And there's sort of uh, a way in, in which the um, palm, the, the, whole, the whole focus of Advent for most of church history has been what we might say very Markan in, in that sense of there's not a lot of emphasis on Jesus's birth. It's not, it's not about preparing for baby Jesus. It's really about preparing for adult Jesus, and really even the second coming of Christ. Uh, you know, Mark's gospel doesn't even have a birth narrative. It just picks up, boom, right, with, with adult Jesus. And so the church I grew up in, Prepare the Royal Highway, was actually the way in which we started Advent with that, with that carol. And uh, the scripture lessons, two of the four weeks, would have probably even had John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way, or even calling people a brood of vipers, or Jesus reflecting on who John the Baptist was. 
And in, in many ways, I've um, over time begun to move away from that. And I sort of deviated from the sort of the normal lessons for Advent. And the reason why I did that was because I used to teach release time. And that's a program whereby uh, parents get permission for kids to be pulled out of school for like a half an hour a week to do some basic Bible work. And so I was interacting with these kids whose parents had given them permission to, uh, you know, have religious instruction. And around the Christmas season, I would work with the kids. And what I realized is that they just didn't know the Christmas story. I mean, really didn't know the Christmas story. They didn't um, know um, really about Mary and Joseph. Um, and... It, and so what I began to realize is that the sort of the Advent piety that I had had, which was very much, you know, don't sing uh, Christmas carols, you know, focus on, again, John the Baptist. I, it just had, had wasn't going to work, I felt, for uh, kids that just were so saturated with stories of Santa and elves and reindeer. Those stories they knew, but that they just didn't know this sort of this basic story of Jesus's birth. And, and so I've really, in terms of how I've wanted to do, to do ministry, reoriented sort of Advent um, into a season of, of doing some more catechesis, some more teaching about this basic story. One of the things, though, that I worry that I lose or that Mark can serve as a corrective about is is reminding us that what's at stake at Christmas isn't simply the birth of a beautiful or wonderful baby, but that Mark points us back with his gospel here that begins with this this call to repentance of of people in the wilderness and this um, declaration that that one is is coming um, who will bring about um, the Holy Spirit. I think there is something um, powerful about that, this reminder that something uh, deeper than sentimentality is at stake here. And, and I think this now starts to maybe get us towards what really Christmas is about and, and to the extent of, you know, what about Christmas is, is pagan. Now, I want to be clear here that just because something is pagan doesn't mean it's bad. You know, it was a it was, a, uh, it was a bunch of pagan Greeks who lived in the, you know, 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries B.C. who really invented geometry. And I, you know, as much as I might not have liked geometry at points, I, it's not bad. Um, also, algebra is a Muslim word. And again, as much as many of us in, in middle school may have, or high school may not have liked algebra, I don't think solving for X uh, relative to why or whatever is is inherently somehow sinful or bad just because something uh, doesn't come in the Bible just because something uh, is invented by somebody who isn't Christian doesn't make it inherently bad um, this is uh, maybe this is my my Lutheran uh, sort of theological training coming to bear here but again I so just because something is secular or pagan doesn't doesn't uh, mean we can write it off automatically as Christians. But then there is a lot of stuff that happens in our celebrations at this time of year that does feel out of place. And, and perhaps in this way, the story of 
again, John the Baptist and Mark can, can serve as a correction. You know, what John uh, seems to be fighting against is religious hypocrisy, um, against the way in which the, the rich accrue power and then justify it, often even using religious justification. Um, and, yeah, I think we uh, live in a world, too, that continues to have issues around power and, and money and religion. I don't think we've gotten away from those, and I think those are often amplified at Christmas. You know, the industry that profits the most off of Christmas is probably the credit card industry. And the credit card industry is based on charging exorbitant interest rates, which would be called usury. And the Bible uh, is pretty clear that usury is not to be practiced. In fact, for much of church history, the church forbade Christians to charge high interest rates to each other. So I, I think there, there is a way in, in which um, there are elements of our modern Christian celebration which um, are not sort of pagan in a neutral sense, but, but really uh, work against the teachings of Jesus and the spirit of sort of the ethics that we would derive out of the, the Bible and specifically the New, the New Testament and even, even the Beatitudes. So what then are we to make of this Christmas holiday that is this bizarre and beautiful combination of sort of religious tradition, of um, sort of neutrally pagan or even good pagan things, um, as well as just some really terrible pagan things. Uh, and perhaps the church here does need to take a more sort of aggressive stance against culture. I've tended to to not want to do that, uh, in part because um, I just don't want to be angry at Christmas and sort of in a sort of a, a combative mindset. I think this is a time of year for not just generosity and monetary, but generosity and spirit. And I think there's a lot of people on the margins of the church again who are sort of curious and open at this time of year in ways they wouldn't be otherwise. Um, but I, I think that um, part of the role of the church, though, is to uh, ground us and, and focus us on sort of the, the essential things here. And I think the essential things uh, would be those that, that John points us towards. Uh, in uh, John the Baptist, I mean here in, in the Gospel of Mark, of, of forgiveness, of, of ultimately the Holy Spirit coming new life in Jesus Christ. Um, and if we were to read about John the Baptist in, in Matthew's Gospel, sort of about generosity. Um, so my hope is, is for you then to reflect, you know, what, um, maybe to sort of turn the question again, rather less, you know, is Christmas a pagan holiday? I don't think that's a winning or losing. I don't think there's a right answer there, but maybe, you know, what really can you do to keep Christ uh, in your Christmas, beyond a bumper sticker, um, beyond a sort of a culture war slogan, uh, what does this mean for you uh, to really um, have these coming days be about Christ? And uh, I, I think this um, this may produce uh, some some sort of uh, last minute guilt in all of you that somehow you failed and like the, you know didn't do enough, um, but. 
rather than simply absolve you of your guilt, I'll say, well, actually, you know, Christmas really is a 12-day season that begins on Christmas. And that it may be that in the season of December, that within the sort of Western American context, that that really is a month of just experiencing pagan culture at its finest with feasting and movies and celebrations and concerts and, and credit cards and money and all this other stuff. And that finally, maybe then when life slows down at the very end of the month, we can sort of take time and, and really reflect more deeply on where God has been this last year and, and where God is, is calling us in, into the new year. Um, and, and what does it mean that God has chosen to become one of us in, in Jesus Christ? So I thank you for uh, listening to this, and I thank you for uh, all the feedback throughout you know these various podcast seasons. I love it when, when I get emails or questions or comments. It's just kind of, okay, yeah, this is... This is worth doing. Um, I appreciate that. And I wish uh, you and all of your family uh, a wonderful um, Christmas and a celebration of the incarnation of our God in Jesus Christ. His is no earthly kingdom. It comes from heaven above. His rule is peace and freedom and justice, truth and love. So let your praise be sounding for kindness so abounding. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word.